0: All right. Well, good morning or morning. is isn't morning anymore, is it? But welcome to church. So good to see you all. Come on. Can we give a big hand for the band and for the team? Man, that was so good. I love that last song. It's been such a joy to be here this morning and last night. As Pastor Mark said, we flew in, me and my wife and our two daughters, we flew in yesterday. We came straight from a week of conference in London and came straight here. I was trying to get my girls uh, to come to church. Uh, They have been in church like all day for two weeks and uh, conferences and stuff. And I I, I was trying to text them and tell them to come. Last service and all I got back was a picture of two of them in the pool. So I think that means they're not coming. But uh, they're here and we're so happy to be here. Uh, It's such an honor to uh, finally see uh, this church. I've had the privilege to know uh, uh, your pastors, Pastor Kerry and Chris, for for years, and uh, you guys have invested so much in us, uh, even though you might not know it, both with prayers and generosity and helping us establish a church in Stockholm, and the teams and the leaders and the youth you've been sending over to our summer camps for years has been fantastic with uh, Pastor Mark and everybody, and they're, they're about to fly out in a few days. I was telling Pastor Mark, you know, it's not good when you have a guest speaker, you, you, it's not fair that you put on your smallest shirt and show off your guns like he does today and make a guest speaker feel bad. That's not something you do as a good host. I'm just saying, um, I love him. He's awesome. Can't wait to hang out in Stockholm next week. Um, we're going to get in the word. Um, I am from Sweden. I was bo- born in, in a little redneck town with, uh, 8,000 people and 200,000 cows. And, uh, I didn't do well in school. As a matter of fact, I dropped out of school after ninth grade. Um, I learned quickly. No, I'm joking. I, uh, My. uh, By the way, you're feeling good up on the balcony? See, that's the good seats. If Jesus comes back while I preach, you go first. (laughs) Now, if you're sitting under the balcony, you might be stuck there when he's trying to lift you up. So, you know, balcony is always a good place to sit. Well, anyway, I dropped out of school out of ninth grade. My dad, he left us as a family on Christmas Day when I was 12. He was struggling with alcoholism. And uh, so I grew up in a very broken home. And, and after ninth grade, I had to drop out to start work full time. I worked one or two jobs at the same time, trying to help mom keep the house. I worked at a farm and worked at another place. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't learn a lot of English in school. We take classes in school, and you got to learn English. And I didn't go to a lot of them because I worked and, and, and didn't like school. So my English teacher told me, you, Andres, you, you will never be able to speak English. And um, I said, like, that's cool. I'm not going anywhere. You know, everybody... I'm not going anywhere out in the farm where I work. They all know Swedish, so I'm good. And she said, you will never know English. And one Saturday morning, I woke up, 15 years old, right before I left school. Well, it wasn't morning. It was 10 o'clock in the, you know, right before lunch. And I, 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 I opened up my eyes and there was my English teacher. And she, you know, I know it wasn't a dream because she's pretty old. And by, by then, you know, you didn't have those kind of dreams. But old ladies, you know, like you dream about other stuff when you're 15. You know, and she's there looking at me thinking, man, this is a nightmare. And uh, my mom was there as well. And she, uh, she said, Andreas, your teacher's been so kind to tell you that you're allowed to come to her on Saturdays for a special, extra special English lessons. And I said, Mom, I love you. But if I don't go when I have to during the school time, I'm not going to go on Saturdays either. And so she said, well, you will never learn to speak English. When I was 20 years old, I left Sweden for America. You know, things got a little heated there. I was in a lot of trouble. And, you know, I had a few rough years. I came to America and I didn't know how to speak English. And everybody tried to talk to me and I didn't know what they were saying. And I was trying to say stuff to them. And they didn't know what I was saying. And, uh, but I found some awesome English teachers who really helped me to understand this beautiful language in a way that no teacher has ever done before especially three of them. One was Steven Seagal. Man, I loved just listening to him when he was talking. It's unbelievable. I was listening to the words and pairing the subtitles together. I didn't know what was a good or bad word or R-rated PG-13. Sylvester Stallone, amazing teacher. Now Arnold Schwarzenegger was a little bit hard to understand what he was saying, but he learned me few words as well. So if you don't understand what I'm saying, I didn't have really good teachers. You know, I'm just, uh, I'm trying to stay away from some of the words they taught me uh, because we're in church, obviously. Praise God. And um, so I think in Swedish, I speak English, and I pray in the Holy Spirit. There's kind of a lot of stuff going on in here, but we're going to make it through. Well, I want to bring you to the word today. Uh, I want to... Thank the team has been looking after us so good. I have the opportunity to be here all week. We're going to have a great week. I love Texas. Never been here before. Always wanted to come here. See, where I come from, everything is small. You know, cars are small. They run on battery. Houses are so small. Texas is awesome. You got Ford F-350s. Praise God. That is awesome. You got trucks. You know how to live. I even put my boots on today. I felt so good. So I'm so excited to be here today. And we're going to have a great time. This last service, I'm not going to preach longer than three, four hours. So it's going to be good, you know. (laughs) Then we're going to go have a big steak because that's what we eat in Texas, right? Come on, somebody. I'm hungry already. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 2. I love this scripture. I'm going to read it. And then we're going to talk for a little bit. And then we're going to pray. But it goes like this. Clear lots of ground for your tents. Now tents represent different things. In the context of here and in the Old Testament, a tent will represent where you sleep, but it also represents your life. You know, it represents, uh, let's say, your house and your family and what you do for a living. And it represents your life, the, 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 the thing that you own. So Isaiah, who's a prophet who lived 700 years before Jesus Christ, He, his book is awesome. I love Isaiah book because it talks about Jesus. Everything Isaiah is about Jesus. You can think about Jesus when you read through all the chapters and you understand it. And he says, clear a lot of ground for your tents. Uh, And then he goes, make plenty of, uh, make your tents large, spread out and think big. Man, when I was, when I heard Pastor Kerry invited me to preach in Texas, I I knew I got to preach about thinking big because they'll get it here. If they get it anywhere, they're going to get it in Texas. I can't preach this stuff at home. They don't get this stuff. You will get this. God actually is asking you to think big. God is asking you to pray big. God is asking you to to dream big. You know, God is asking you to ask big of him. Some of you guys, you walked in here today and you got prayers so big, you might think that God doesn't even allow you to pray those prayers. Some of you, you need a miracle in your marriage. You need a miracle in your business. You need a miracle in your relationship or in your health. And you want to, God, is this prayer too big? I'm only here today to tell you that there's not one prayer. There's not one dream. There's not one ask that you can come to God with with where he will go, oh, hold on. That's big. I'm about to fall off my throne. I got to hold on. That is a big prayer. No, most of the time, he's got to be so bored. It's like, oh, I it's Sunday again. They're gonna come and ask that the car starts and that the, that the Cowboys wins and the, you know, that's a big prey, by the way. And uh, <laughs> too soon, I thought we we're friends, you know, like I fell at home. So, I like ice hockey, so I don't care. Uh, but, uh, like, yeah, sharks, man, I like sharks too. That just signed Eric Carlson, it's gonna be a good year. Come on, somebody, got a sharks fan here. And, but you know, a lot of times I think God, is, he listens to our praise and he goes, come on, can somebody pray a prayer that gets me to do something and all the stuff that I can do? Do you know how he parted the Red Sea? Do you know how he parted the Red Sea? He blew through one of his nostrils. He's like, you need it parted? Oh, here's a trick I've never done before. And then he parted the race. and we pray, pray like God can only do small stuff. You look at what you have in your hand and it's so small. And then you, you think about what he's put in your heart and you go, how is this ever going to be able to turn into this? And we pray prayer that matches what we can see because we're too scared to pray prayers that needs to be prayed in order to fulfill everything that God has put in our lives. So Isaiah, he's commanding us, he's encouraging us, he's trying to inspire us to to make room for everything big that God has for us in our lives. He says, you're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family. You're going to take over whole nations. I could preach about that all day long. I live in a nation where less than 1% goes to church. A large church is 50 people. They close one church a week in Sweden. When we started our church 13 years ago in Sweden, people told me, I lived in America before I was a youth pastor in Florida, and, and people told me, Andreas, do it in America. Go to Australia, go to South Africa, go to somewhere where, where where churches grow. Sweden is a graveyard for churches. But you know, we were reading this scripture, and I was reading the scripture, and I felt like God put it in my heart that we're we're supposed to build a church that is changing a nation not trying to find a changed nation not saying that any nation is already done already but not trying to find the best scenario for our options to be as good as possible where we could start a church but rather do what god has put in our heart and build a church that could change the climate of a nation even though all the odds were stacked against us and i love that god is asking us to step out in faith and do things that for a man and for our, our human eyes seems impossible, but for him is very possible. I would I would suggest this morning, that most of us are living so far below the God-given potential in our lives. And we do it for different reasons. We do it maybe because you grew up like I did. My dad would look me in the, my eyes and say, Andres, you're, you're good for nothing. You're in no good. Your life's gonna be a mess. He told me I'm going to hell. He said, I'm gonna come visit you in jail. And what happens if you hear that long enough, you start to live like that, it's the truth. Some of you guys, you've settled for a small life because they told you that's everything you can have. And when I'm talking about small, I'm not talking about how big your house is or how many horsepower your truck has. I'm talking about the impact and the dream, how close to the dream that God has put in your life you're living. Some of us, we're living a small life because we failed before. Maybe you had a marriage and it failed. You did everything you could, or maybe you even did everything wrong and it failed and you believe and you had your chance. Well, that is not the God that I read about in my Bible. That is not the faithful God that I read about in the gospel where he says when you're faithless, uh, faithless he is faithful. He said he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. His goodness and his grace is new every morning. So most of us, we, we adopt. And we live out of the world that other people create for us. Maybe you have, a heart, have it in your heart to start a business and you don't know how to do it, so you, you, you just think you can have something a little bitty who just put food on your table, which is great if you can do that, but what if you can dream bigger where you through what God has graced you to do can put food on a lot of people's tables? See, God, he's able to do abundantly, exceedingly above and beyond everything we can ask or think or pray for. There is not one prayer, one thought, one dream that you're dreaming that is going cha- to challenge God and make him think that you just, you're just praying too big. So Isaiah, he's telling us that we're going to take over whole nations, that you're going to resettle abandoned cities. And he says, don't be afraid. Everything God says something important, he, he likes to throw in that. Don't be afraid. Why? First thing Jesus says when he walks up to his disciples after he died, they sorry, rather the angels to the, to the women who comes to the tomb, they say, don't be afraid. You hear Jesus say it all the time, don't be afraid. Why? Because fear is the opposite of faith. And faith and fear doesn't like to exist together. So usually we have to choose between one or two things in our life, either fear, which will always produce a negative result in our life, or faith that would always produce a godly result in our lives. So he he understands that if we're going to be able to live this life where we can dream big and pray big and expand and, and live that potential, that dream that God has in our life, we have to understand that we cannot be afraid, that greater is he that is in us than everything that can come against us. So he says, don't be afraid. You're not going to be embarrassed. Don't hold back. You're not going to come up short. You'll forget all about the humiliations of your youth praise God, and indignities of being a widow will fade away from your memory. He tells you to, that he has a plan, that you can do something great for your life. Well, when we started our church, we had a big dream. We didn't have a lot. Uh, all we had, me and my wife, was a little house that I renovated, in, and we had our first daughter, Selena Joe, and, and, uh, we uh, we we didn't have we didn't have much. We had food on the table. We didn't have a lot of furniture. We we just planted this church from scratch. We didn't have no support financial support. We didn't have no nobody sending a love offering or, or everything. We just we just had this little dream of, of maybe God could do something in a nation that once was so full of church and full of godly people that now has walked away and turned away from all of that and started building different principles in a country that is being teared apart by so many different challenges. And we felt like God. God put, asked us to, to build a church there. Now we had opportunities to move to Australia. We had invitations to become pastors in America. Who would have loved that? I love America. and but God put in our heart to build a church right here. And we did everything we could. We had our first little daughter, Selena Joe, and, and then my wife got pregnant again and, and late into the pregnancy, I picked her up one Friday lunch and I took her to lunch and we had a great lunch and we picked out a name for our second daughter. After the lunch, we had a scheduled appointment with a, a, a doctor who was going to do an ultrasound on my, uh, on my wife just to in preparation of our, our baby coming, making sure everything was good. We've done a couple of them before, and everything was looking good so far. So we went from the lunch. We were happy. We picked out a name for our daughter, and we were rolling into this doctor's office, and we're sitting there, and he's doing his ultrasound thing. And all of a sudden, the room gets cold, cold as eyes, never felt it before felt like every devil in hell was in that room and I asked the doctor what is wrong and he said why do you think something is wrong and I said stop playing what's wrong and he said, your child is dead my wife started to cry we just picked out a name for her we just gave her a name two hours ago she went from being just a baby in the womb to a, to someone with a name two hours ago and you tell me she's dead Man, we've been fighting so hard to get the church going. We gave it everything we had. We were tired, we were worked out. And the doctor tells me, You gotta leave, you gotta come back on Monday. It's for late Friday afternoon. We can't fix this now. You gotta come back on Monday. I picked up my wife at lunch, celebrated our child, gave her a name. Now I'm driving her home with a dead baby. In her belly. There was only one preacher in our church by then. We were about 100 people. And that was me. We started just a few months before. Our first service, we were 91 people. We thought we were awesome. Second Sunday, we were 48. Third Sunday, we were 21. We were like one week from not existing. Somewhere around there, it kind of turned around. So that Sunday, waiting to deliver our baby, our dead baby on the Monday, I had to preach. And my wife was sitting on the front row, and I was trying to preach hope. But everything I could hear in my head is, well, why didn't God do that for you? I'm telling people, don't give up. God is faithful. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He didn't take you this far just to leave you here. He's not giving up on you. God is a God of new beginnings. He loves you. He can save you. He can restore your marriage. He can heal your body. And all I could hear and hear is, what about your baby? It was like he was looking at me from the front row. Monday comes and we go through all the procedures and we grieve and we feel beat up and, fellow, we gave it everything we had. A year later, my wife is pregnant again. I really love her. That's why she get pregnant so often. <laughs> if you're not married, I would highly recommend to try it. To <laughs> try to get married. That's what I was highly recommending. I apologize, second language, third possibly. (laughs) So my wife is pregnant. It's five weeks to deliver, four weeks to deliver and I gotta fly off to Germany to preach. I'm preaching in Germany. She's at home. She says, baby, you'll be fine. I'm not having any baby. You can go. I'm like, man, I should keep, Lena, I should cancel. I shouldn't be, really be away. No, she's fine. She said, I'm fine. I'm feeling good. Nothing's going to happen. I'm in Germany. I'm preaching all weekend, you know, giving everything I got. Monday morning, I'm on the airport ready to go. As I walk on the plane, I talk to Lena, and she goes, I don't feel so good. Now here's the thing, she grew up in Africa, she's tough as nails, she's tough as I am, and she doesn't go to the hospital, her parents are doctors, so they don't go to the hospital unless an arm falls off, a leg falls off, or head chops off, they don't go to the the hospital, they think everything can be fixed with a glass of water and a little bit of rest, you know, and uh, so she goes, I'm just gonna go have a rest, I said, no, you gotta go to the hospital. She goes, no, I'm just going to have a rest. I'm hanging out the phone on her. I'm calling one of the biggest boys. I got back home and I said, hey, here's the deal. You got to go to my, my, my house. This is a one-time deal. You're going to pick up my wife. She can kick. She can scream. She can cuss. She, can, she doesn't do that, but she can do whatever she wants. You strap her in. You take her to the hospital. And no matter what, you are stronger. If you don't do that, I will kill you when I get home. And that's not a threat. That's a promise. And he goes, yes, sir. And he goes home. And my wife calls me. Your friend is here trying to drag me to the hospital. I said He's stronger than you. Just give in to it. And um, so she's in the car. They go into the hospital. I'm calling her as our plane is taken off. And the last thing I hear while she's in the car is, babe, my water just broke. And I'm like, what? Why'd you do that? I waited 28 hours by your head, by the bed for the first baby. You can't even wait two hours for me to get home. Like our first baby, I stood 28 hours next to her bed. I'm like, babe, get it out. It's not going to get any easier. She's getting all the drugs. I got no drugs. (laughs) Everybody's coming to the room asking, how are you doing, honey? Talking to me? No. (laughs) her." Yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm here too. Hello. (laughs) Can I have some drugs, please? (laughs) I'm like taking that thing off my (sighs) She's like, I'm really in pain. Can I have it back? Yeah, soon. (laughs) Man, I'd have a child every day if I could have that thing. So I'm like pacing up and down the aisle of the airplane. A steward just come and ask, hey, what's wrong with you? I said, I'm having a baby. She goes, yeah, sure. Well, they probably experienced everything. So yeah, sure you are. Probably talk to just agree and get him to sit down. Yeah, you're having a baby. That's cool. No, not me. My wife's having a baby. And you got to get the captain to call and see how it's going. And long story short, captain called. They said, everything is good. You have a beautiful daughter. We landed. I rushed there. And my wife was in surgery. And they gave me this little thing that a parent lists my child. And they say babies are cute when they're born, but they're lying. Ain't no baby cute. They're coming out. It takes six months for them to get cute. They're ugly they come out. They got heads that are pointing up like this. They're red they're all scratched up there is not one baby that was cute when they came out that is a lie am I telling the truth or what you got to tell the truth in the house of God it takes a while for them to get cute come on somebody I love you but you're not cute yet I'm hoping you will get that one you know like my first child I got to get back to the mystery I got to tell you though my first child she came out her head was like a cone head it was like I, nobody told me that could happen I was like what's wrong with her is that really mine I saw it come out. I could have been a switch with someone here while I was looking away. Now that's yours. What, what, what about the head? I don't have it. My wife don't have it. She goes, just, just give it a day. It'll go down. Like, All right. Well, might get pretty over, pretty over time. <laughs> they're beautiful. And I got two beautiful blonde daughters. They're, they're amazing. And uh, they look like their mom. Thank God. And uh, so we're, it's Monday. Got my second daughter. We're celebrating God's faithfulness. We felt what it is to lose and we felt what it was to get blessed. Friday, I'm about to pick him up from the hospital. They had to stay a few extra days because she was premature born. uh, She uh, she was premature born. And... uh, Friday, I'm supposed to pick him up at lunch. And uh, I'm supposed to take him away from the hospital at lunch. And we've we've rented this big building at at Friday night. It's a 700-seater. We only had 120, 130 people in church. And I invited Pastor Brian Houston to come and speak. And I was terrified and stressed because I didn't even think there were 700 Christians in the city who could come and fill up this this arena, that arena, 700 people, it was arena tell us, but so I'm stressed, so I'm getting my wife and my daughter and we're leaving the hospital. As we leave, leaving, this nurse comes running and goes, hey, sorry, you gotta come back, we forgot one thing. I was like, what? We gotta do an ultrasound on your, on your daughter's heart. It's a standard procedure for all premature born babies. It'll only take five, 10 minutes or 15 minutes tops. We're ready to go, doctors are ready. So we walk in there. Everything's great. I got my little daughter. She's still ugly, but she's working on it. And I put her on the table and they started to do the ultrasound. And all of a sudden the room gets cold again. And I'm like, doc, what's up? What's wrong? And he said, why do you say something is wrong? By now I'm, I'm over it. Honest. I, I'm, I'm not proud of this moment, but it, I grabbed his white coat and I pulled him away from his machine. I said, you tell me right now, what is wrong? And he said, your daughter, I'm so sorry, your daughter has a hole in her heart and she most likely has Down syndrome. Now we just just far away back from our loss. My wife is collapsing in my arms. Doctors coming everywhere, hooking my daughters up to machines and stuff. An hour later, we're up on the, in a room in intensive care and uh, we got a service. I don't even want to tell people about God anymore. I, I, I was done. I didn't have any big dreams. I didn't have, I don't even want to spread out my tent. I didn't want to make lots of elbow room. I wanted to go in an octagon with God. I, I was tired. We get text messages from people saying, It's time for you to have a break. Please walk away for a while. You need to heal. And they meant well, and it's very reasonable. We bowed our knees at the hospital bed that afternoon, my wife and I. We decided that God didn't take us this far, just to drop us. We decided to keep on doing everything we can to serve him, even though we only had questions and no answers at that point. Even though we felt that like we spent everything we had. It felt like everything worked against us. Every promise of God we could see in the Bible We couldn't see fulfilled in our lives. We agree that we're not giving up. My wife told me, she's strong tonight. She said, Babe, you got to go do that service. I went and picked up Pastor Brian and Bobby from the hosp- uh, from the airport, and we went to the arena, and I had to stand up in front of a room that turned out to be jam-packed. That was a line four blocks down from the from, from the venue that we were in, and then club owners, nightclub owners come and asked hey, what's going on? This is more people than we have in any of our clubs, and I said, it's church. You better get used to it. We're here to stay, and we filled that room, and 69 people got saved that night, but I had to get up on the stage, and I remember it to this very day. I would never forget it. I had to get up on the stage, and I remember standing right behind the stage ready to get on it as I was going to walk out in the end of the worship. And it was like the devil was saying, Andreas, what are you going to say? Tell them about your God. Look what he's done for you. And I had to a, make a decision at that point. If I was going to walk by sight or by faith, if I was going to let circumstances determine the size of my God and who he is and His ability to keep promises. If I was gonna allow everything that, that, that came against me to determine the potential of my life and our lives. And I made a decision there and then that even though I couldn't understand everything, He is who He say He is. He is faithful to the end. What He starts, He finishes. He didn't take us this far just to make fun of us or leave us. And I decided to walk up on that stage and declare that God is a good God even though you can't understand it sometimes. He is a faithful God. He is a good God. He is a merciful God. Yes, even though we walk through the valley of shadow of death yes we do that but he will be there he won't leave you he won't forsake you and some of you guys you're there right now you're in that valley right now and you wonder where is he I'll tell you where he's at he's right next to you he said I can't feel him doesn't mean he's not there see we see God if you really want to see God we have to look in our rear view mirror That's why we see him. Oh, God, you were there. That's why I made it through. God, you were there when I was 12 and my dad left me on Christmas Day. You were there. That's why I'm still alive. God, you were there when I thought you abandoned me. God, you were there when I messed up and I thought I failed you. God, you were there when my marriage was falling apart. God, you were there? Yes, you were. That's the only reason why you're here today. It's the only reason why we're still breathing. Because he's here. And he won't leave us and he won't forsake us. My daughter was one in a million with this syndrome who who don't have Down syndrome. One in a million. Now, we would have loved her anyway. It doesn't matter. When she was four months, we handed her into an eight-hour-long open-heart surgery. Her heart was less than an inch when they opened it up the first time. They had to redo it a year later, but today, she's a strong, healthy, beautiful 11-year-old girl that is beautiful, and we're so grateful. But you know what? Sometimes we understand, and sometimes we see that he does what we're praying for, and sometimes we don't understand. But I'll tell you one thing, he's faithful, and he's worth holding on to. Let me finish with this. There's a seed that is incredible. I'm not much of a gardener. I, I don't have the patience for it. My wife liked it. As a matter of fact, my mother-in-law was home plant, putting something in the ground. I think it was a raspberry bush or something. I didn't see it. I just run it over with the lawnmower and I came home day after. She's, my wife said it was really hard ground there. She was digging all day. She was out eight hours putting that thing down there. I said, sorry, it took me two seconds. to kind of Lost the inheritance there, did I? But I've been studying this seed. It's a a seed to a tree called a Chinese bamboo tree. It's one of the smallest seeds. And the thing when you put it in the ground, you got to put it in the ground. And every day you have to water it. Every day you got to fertilize it. Every day you got to pick out the weed. Now, if I was California, if I was preaching California, you would think about something else. But I'm talking about, you know, stuff you don't want in the ground. Every day you gotta water it, every day you gotta fertilize it, every day you gotta look after it, you can't skip one day. You do that every day for a full year, every day, 365 days. You do that every day for a full year, you'll end up with nothing. You won't see nothing. Every day you gotta water it. Your neighbor looks over the fence and he goes, what are you doing, man? I'm watering this thing, you've been watering it for for six months, you got nothing, you're crazy, there's nothing there. You do that for a second year, Every day you water it, every day you fertilize it, every day you look after it for a second year, you'll end up with absolutely nothing. Now people are mocking you. Now they're selling t-shirts about you. That ice cream truck is pulling up because now you got a crowd. People looking at that crazy guy out there watering. Every morning you come out in your underwear and you're watering this thing, you know, like Bubba, what's up? And, uh, And nothing grows. You do that for three years and you'll end up with nothing. Four years, you end up with nothing. You do it for five years. Every day you water it, every day you fertilize it. Every day you look after it for five years and you will see the smallest of things break ground. So small you'll miss it if you don't look carefully. But only if you do it every day for five years. Now what happens after this five years is spectacular. After it breaks ground, it will grow from just a little something that you can barely see Till 90 feet, till a 90 feet tree in five weeks. Five weeks. So, how long did it take for it to grow from nothing to to, to, uh, 90 feet? Five years and five weeks. But we live in a society that celebrates the five weeks. We live in a culture that only wants five weeks' results. We're only willing to do the five weeks, We, we, we don't want to do the five years. We don't want to be there watering it year three when nothing happens. See, if you start watering it in the end of year four, you're losing something that you've been putting four years into that can be spectacular. But we live in a a time and age that if you can't put it on social media, it doesn't exist. If it wasn't on Facebook, it didn't happen. See, God's more of a five-year God than a five-week God. The five weeks is a result of five years of faithfulness, of five years of trustworthiness, of five years of stewardship. See, then God can start to bless it. And maybe you're here today and say, I've been praying for a year, nothing happens. I'm here to tell you, keep watering it, keep fertilizing it. Keep looking after it. You don't know, and people are going to say, when God blesses you, when you get your breakthrough, when you get your miracle, oh man, he struck gold, oh, he was lucky. They say this sometimes about me, oh, you just got connected right. No, you weren't there when I was out there watering by myself by night, when nobody was there. Oh, you want to come now when it's a 90-feet tree? You weren't there when I was crying over my seed because it didn't grow. You weren't there when we looked after it, when people told us to stop looking after it. Nobody was there. when you you kept praying all by yourself through the night that God would help you but you did not give up you did not leave him you did not walk away when you were fighting for your marriage when you were fighting for your child when you were fighting for your business when you were fighting for your faith but I'm here to tell you God is a God who can take the smallest of things and he can let it grow when all hope is out he can still bring hope into hopeless situations he is a God that is faithful he is a God that is full of mercy he is a God that is just, and he's a God that will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. He will finish what he starts, and he is who he says he is. Come on, let's stand, everyone, to our feet as we close in prayer. This is the third time I preached this message this weekend, and it's been different all three times. I'm not here to preach a message. I'm here to help someone, and as I was walking up on the stage, For this service, I felt God put it in my heart to tell someone who's about to give up. Don't give up. You're almost there. Maybe you're ready to give up on your marriage. Don't do it. You're almost there. Your miracle is coming. Keep watering. Maybe you're ready to give up on your business. Don't, don't, Don't do it. You're almost there. Some of you, you feel like you've been out there by yourself watering your seed you don't see anything I'm here to tell you it's coming I'm here to tell you that he has collected every tear that you'd ever cried and he turned it into water for your seed and he's about to do something spectacular and miraculous in your life because that's who he is he's a faithful God and even sometimes when we don't even feel like we can see him we can trust him when we feel like our prayers are leaving our mouth and hitting the floor, they are rising up to him. And he will do what he has promised to do. He is a faithful God. So Lord, I come to you in this moment and I thank you for everyone who is here. I thank you that you love everyone that you don't see a room full of people this afternoon, but that you see individuals, one and one. And God, there is not one life in here that you don't hold in your hand. There's not one person watching online or the other campuses that you don't love. God, you are not distant. God, you're not silent. You're not inactive. You're faithful. So we trust you. And again today, we choose you We we choose your process. We choose your principles. We make a decision that we will follow you because you're our good shepherd. You won't leave us and you won't forsake us. And God, I pray for anyone in this room, anyone watching online and anyone watching in any other campuses, Lord. If there's anyone in here who don't know you, Lord, I pray that this will be the day where they will open their heart And allow you to come in with all the love, all the hope, all the forgiveness, all the wholeness, all the peace that you can bring, Lord. God, whether we have questions or even doubts, Lord, doesn't matter as long as we open our hearts. And you will come in and we can get to know you personally. And experience this transformation that salvation brings. And live a life of hope, not in ourselves, not in circumstances, but in you. God, I pray for every person, every family, every home, every destiny, every dream in this room. We glorify Jesus, and we thank you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big clap? Can we thank him? T- God bless you, everyone. Hey, church.